Discover Lafayette with the support of Raider, a managed IT service provider that offers world-class service, including cybersecurity, communications, and technology support. With Raider, you have just one vendor and one number to call, allowing you to concentrate on what is most important, your business. For more information, visit RaiderSolutions.com. We also tape with the support of Lafayette Surgical Specialty Hospital, a physician-owned hospital known for its advanced treatment options and innovative technologies which provide patients with the most comprehensive care available in every department. From simple exploratory procedures to robotics-assisted surgery, their physicians are dedicated to implementing low-impact, minimally invasive methods that are at the cutting edge of medical science. Experience the difference in care at Lafayette Surgical Specialty Hospital. Today, we're taping a special edition of Discover Lafayette and showcasing the mission of Eat Lafayette, highlighting the wonderful restaurants in our area. Today, we're proud to welcome Laurie and Richard Hurst, proprietors of Poor Boys Riverside End. They're the third generation of the family, carrying on the legacy of Hulot, Poor Boy Landry, who started Poor Boy's Riverside Inn back in 1932. What began as a snowball stand grew into a full-fledged fine dining restaurant known for its delicious seafood and steak dishes. Poor Boy's Riverside Inn moved to its present site in Broussard at 240 Tubing Road in 1977, where every Hearst family member has since worked in some capacity. I want to thank Laurie and Richard Hearst for taking the time to join us and discuss not only Poor Boy's Riverside Inn, but Laura, your role as chair of Eat Lafayette. Thank you both for taking time to be here. Oh, thank you for having us. And uh, you guys run the roads. You're busy. Yeah, <laughs> so it's it's a busy job being the water girl. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Before we start. So you can't see us right now, but Lori's got on a T-shirt that says Water Girl, and you are the Water Girl, right? What, what is that? Well, does anybody <laughs> complain to the Water Girl? No. Never. <laughs> no. So I just tell people I'm the glorified Water Girl, and that's the, that's the title I want to have. And Richard says he wants to just be the dishwasher, so got him a little dishwasher. Well, sure. yeah. So let, let's start with the family background, Richard. This is your your family, and I know it's a fourth generation restaurant too. You yes. have children yeah. working with you, and I don't know about other family members. Y'all can go into that. Yes, my son's working with us a little bit now, yeah. and he's doing some other work too. But he's he's coming in. Yeah. So nineteen thirty two, your your grandfather worked, I guess, for Evangeline made bread, right? And he found out that he couldn't continue in that capacity because of allergies. Allergies. He became allergic to flour. He would oh, wow. just break out everywhere, uh-huh. you know, whenever he'd be uh, working with the bread dough. And then, um, yeah, then he had to find something else to do in the middle of the Depression. And so he started a snowball stand. Mm-hmm. Push that around for a while. I'm gonna let Lori take from here. This is where she likes. Well, I, um, actually, I think it's cute that the little lady on the Evangeline made bread, um, you know, wrapping is Richard's mother's cousin. Oh, and she she lived um, a very long life. But yes, it 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 was a, a great connection, and 
the fact that the Evangeline made bread and Poor Boys Riverside Inn is kind of like a, you know, a, a good Lafayette mm-hmm. staple. You know, everybody knows what Evangeline made bread sandwiches, are, mm-hmm. you know, taste like. And Poor Boys Riverside Inn has been, oh gosh, making memories. Um, if walls could talk, you know, mm-hmm. we've seen every kind of celebration. And I think it's, I, I'm, I get excited. You know, we had somebody come the other day and we, none of us knew. And we look out and there's a wedding going on outside by the pond. And then they came in and, and you know, we, we gave them some champagne. They came in and had a family supper. And I was like, well, and they were like, oh, we're going to celebrate here every year. And this is where we used to come on date night. And I was just thinking how lucky we were that mm. so many people do that. You know, we've had people get married there, get engaged there. Um, That's hell, beautiful. Even throw a ring there. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've we've got a lot of stories. And... Mm. I'm proud of it. I think, you know, Hulo used to go hang out with his um, uncle in New Orleans and worked at the Roosevelt, and he learned so much. That's what I was wondering. How yeah, yeah, he, yeah. How he, you know, from going from snowballs to the kind of seafood that you guys right, offer. Right. He worked with the guys in the kitchen, and on their days off, he was invited to hang out with them. And literally, what a lot of people don't realize is Rich's grandfather was in um, the slave quarters of New Orleans cooking, learning how to cook, and um, to sh- everybody was, you know, um, limited on resources, so everybody brought something to the table, and on cooler days, they some might bring um, shrimp, some might bring chicken, some might bring rice, but they would add water to it, and that's where gumbo came from. Mm-hmm. Well, what other people didn't realize is po' boy sandwiches originated in New Orleans, and if they weren't putting it in water, they were putting it on bread, which made a poor boy sandwich. When he met the love of his life and moved back to get married and go back into the Evangeline made bread business, he didn't realize he was going to be taking a back seat. Um, so he would get up and eat a very large breakfast, like a dozen eggs and a pound of bacon. It was crazy. What? And he would take off on a snowball stand, pushing his little cart around, and it was three for a nickel. But he would pack his lunch so that he could work all day and then come home for supper. And a few influential people at, at the time, they were probably just starting off on their in their own careers, was Judge Kale Saloum and mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Charles Bustani, mm-hmm. who actually talked him into buying his um, sandwich, his unique sandwich. And they had never seen a poor boy sandwich. So that's thus the nickname of Po' Boys Riverside Inn, mm-hmm. and, and people get it, it's weird, the older people call it Po' Boys, the younger people call it Riverside, and mm-hmm. we get all the in-betweens of Riverside's Po' Boys, and mm-hmm. it, it, it's got a variation of names, but it's really Po' Boys Riverside Inn, because that was his nickname, and once they tasted his sandwich, they convinced him he should have a restaurant, they actually got him a loan, and he had a little place off of St. John Street that modest had, what, eight, 12 tables, and he outgrew it so fast, they got him another loan, and he bought out Huck's Riverside Inn. And instead of confusing the names that were so close, they went with his nickname of calling it Pull Boys Riverside Inn. Uh-huh. And he endured flood after flood. Um, we were put on the map, I think, because your grandfather was the first to have an air-conditioned restaurant in the area. And uh, he sat 500 75 seats, I think, at the time. What? And he's, yes, he was working horrible hours. 
uh, long hours. Being in the restaurant industry is not for sissies, is what I tell everybody. Um, he worked this this very, uh, it, it's disciplined though. It's a very disciplined mm-hmm. life, um, but it was a lot. And he got, you know, he had to endure flooding to the roof. Um, yeah. They lost a lot. That was in 1940? Yes, yeah. yeah, but there was two floods. There was another one. The first one was before them. Yeah, um, and you know when people thought he was, but not it wasn't near as bad as the forty. The forty, the 40 was, was to a, the roof, and it was, and everybody thought that was it. That was right. done. He was, and right. and he would he came back, and he was at the Pinhook Bridge, and it didn't matter what time of the day it ha- it happened. If somebody wanted to come through the bridge, the whole restaurant had to stop. All the workers had to go out and push the little, you know, it was hand pushed. Um, <laughs> And we have some great pictures, and it had a sign, you know, a little waving chef. And uh, unfortunately, he died at a young age, and Rich's grandmother was faced with having to run it on her own. And I think probably scared and just not knowing what direction to go in. Mm -hmm. And so she called her only daughter, her only child, and her husband had come in to help. And then uh, history was made again because... Mr. Larry never left. And what a lot of people don't realize is Larry revolutionized, I think, the Cajun culture and um, taught a lot of people that became very famous. Um, I tease my father-in-law that we are the reason, he is the reason we have Redfish Limits. And I know that, I just found out that that has actually been pegged for other people. And I didn't realize that in New Orleans that actually would come to Riverside and learn what that country boy was doing, and they took it on to, to mm-hmm. New Orleans, where Larry was doing it first. Redfish was considered a trash fish, and he couldn't sell it to save his life, so he would just say it was a special, and you didn't pay for it unless you ate it, and it kind of kicked off. Mm-hmm. So we were the first to sell redfish. We were the first to blacken redfish. We were the first to top redfish Not with crudum? crawfish. No, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to take his hat away, but... Paul was a showman. Richard's dad, Mr. Larry, was just a country boy trying to feed his kids and take care of his wife. And so, so I've, I've asked him, you know, why why yeah. didn't you? And he goes, I just wanted to take care of my family. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. And he said, you know, Paul and a few others came in and they saw what the, the country boy was doing and they took off with it. And he was very mm-hmm. happy for them. And Miss Kathleen was friendly with all of them. But... Larry's the reason we have uh, Redfish Limits, and I love the little stories how he says, yeah, Richard's little buddies would come knock on the door. Now, this was before, you know, this is before you have to, things are done different now. You can't do it. They'd knock on the kitchen door and say, Mr. Larry, look what we caught today. And he'd pay, he he didn't overcharge them, but he'd give them fair market value for Mm -hmm. their little fish. And um, a lot of these guys are very successful in Lafayette and still remember the days that they could probably party or go out on a date from the money they got from Larry at the back door of Riverside. Okay, one thing there, if they weren't little fish, but anyway. Oh, they weren't? <laughs> I, I like they to call everything little. little. Yeah. yeah. She's calling them little fish, but little my, fish. my okay, friends would be, they would be upset. Oh, yeah. Okay, so we, we little, okay, so they came in with these big red fish, <laughs> yeah, and big like, fish. it was like, oh, yeah, it was record breaking. Big speckled trout. Big trout, yes, big trout. Big snapper. So, yeah. big snapper, yeah, everything was big, but yes, mm-hmm. those guys still talk about those stories, and I think it's so cute. But Larry, not only was the first to sell red fish and blacken it and top it, we were the first. 
because of Richard being born, we were the first to have a lobster tank. Um, we were the first to sell emu and alligator. Um, we we kind of... Crawfish. Yeah. Oh, crawfish, crawfish were yeah, pretty yeah. much uh, a home type of thing. You didn't sell... And yeah, we, one sold we, at the restaurant. Dad started... Mm-hmm boiling them and he started the crawfish etouffee before that at a at a, at restaurant. a restaurant whereas right. that was kind of a home thing that you uh-huh. did you it's got crawfish you peeled yeah. them and you ate them at home uh-huh. and then when dad started that in the early 60s that was the first people selling crawfish richard i'm curious 90 years i mean this is now your 90th the family's Nine yeah. years celebration since he opened uh, Hilo opened in 1932. You've grown up with this. Did yeah. you did you always want to work in the restaurant business? I mean, knowing how hard you guys work, I wondered if you ever thought you might take a different path. I don't think he knows any better. <laughs> any better? We didn't. He we didn't know any better. We just we you know, but it but it's different. And and like our we did. We had our family time on Sunday. We had our family time on Monday, and your dad would have a day off in the middle of the week, and we'd have a half a day there. And that was our, that's how we grew up. Whereas mm-hmm. you know people get off on Friday afternoon and they're good till Monday morning, right? Well, we're just you know after Saturday night, you know we would have all day Sunday. Yeah. You know Saturday during the day we never opened, so we had all day Saturday. Mm-hmm. We'd go fishing, do do things with you know, the family, and then. You know, work Saturday night, and then Sunday we would have all day, and then, um, you know, that's just the way it was, and I guess I didn't really learn any better, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know... And first, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just think, you know, Richard's extremely smart. He could have done anything, but he just, it was natural just to... I mean, he was peeling shrimp and potatoes at four. I was going to ask he, yeah. you when you started. Since four yeah. years old. Wow. And someone asked you yesterday, you know, how long you been at it? And he, like, I kind of laughed because he's like, well, management-wise, this many years. And then training-wise, this many years. I said, literally, Richard has been doing it for 55 years, and he's not 60 yet. Mm-hmm. So when you think about it, and sometimes, like, he'll bounce things off of me because he's never... He's never worked any, done anything else. I mean, he does other side businesses for himself, but I think it's a comfort zone. It's kind of like, um, I think the way you and your dad fished and, and the, the way y'all went about routines. I think this was just a great, comfortable routine for you that you've done pretty good carrying the baton over. I think your daddy is extremely proud of you. And the fact that Richard is so much like his mother. It's amazing. I think you have a, a, a lot of both, uh, the best of both of them. His mom was a stickler to detail and consistency. His dad had a great business sense. So I think Richard has a little bit of both of that or a lot of that. Mm-hmm. But Richard is still keeping, we have a dish called the crab meat imperial that Richard's grandmother put on the recipe. It's probably one of the oldest dishes we have but Richard still makes it as good I would probably say better than it's ever been and even Richard's mom would say oh gosh it's better than it used to be so Richard has the palate Mm -hmm. and he has the flair but he still has the you know the great business since his dad had so I think you're 
I think you were destined to, you know, have the oldest restaurant in Lafayette without you realizing it. And he's doing a pretty bang up job on it. Yeah, I looked it up. It seems like Don's downtown, which is now closed, unfortunately, but I think they open in 34. Yeah. And so yeah. you you are you do own the oldest yeah. restaurant. Are you the the head chef? Do you oversee other chefs? How does it the work last, in the kitchen? The last, yeah. the last couple of years, for for a while, I was the only chef. And then uh, we've recently, you know, I've recently gotten a new one in and trained him. And mm-hmm. um, Reggie's doing a great job, and he's he's doing really good for us. And you know, we've had, you know, we've had a number of people over the years, but most of our our people have been there years and years. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, by the time you get to doing what I've taught Reggie in the last two years, most of the time those guys were there eight or ten years before they got to learn those types of things. Mm-hmm. But with COVID and the changes that we've, you know, that have been around the last couple of years. We definitely had to think outside the, the box. Right. And, uh, and our, our new chef Reggie things. has come so far in such mm-hmm. a short time and he's, and he's got a really good palate and it's mm-hmm. just, and he you gets know, just, your way. But, doing but it. yeah, oh, you just have he's, to keep, and you know, but we've worked so much together. I mean, mm-hmm. this, this last couple of years, I'm working like I was working when I was 24. Um, you know, I'm just working all the time. And it's just, you know, it's just kind of, it's been a couple, tough couple of years, but, you know, your, your people, you can train somebody a lot if you're there every shift with them every day. Yeah, Richard, so. um, COVID was a game changer for not just Riverside. Every person in the restaurant business, <sighs> It's been a long, it's been a long couple of years for everybody. Um, One of the first interviews I did when everything shut down, and I was taping it by phone. We couldn't even tape it in an office, but it was Ruffin Roderick, who's no longer with us. Oh, but yeah. he was distraught. It was April 2020, and just has it's, a restaurant similar to you guys. You're not just flipping burgers. You've got you offer high end. Right. Meals like with expensive, you know, I mean, crab meat, all the things you offer. He he just was so devastated for what he was fearing would happen to the industry because oh, of the geez. high overhead you have. Oh, it you know? it was, you know, things. I think we both got out of our comfort zone, and it was scary as hell because you know I was always worried about things being perfect, and. You know, I I had to make it look a certain way and all these ideas we had, we started just like, you know, thinking, okay, the next step is this. The next step was just jumping, diving into whatever you could think of to keep your lights on. And we don't, you know, we don't have a corporate budget. We don't have a franchise budget. And I hope Lafayette really realizes how uniquely and not just Lafayette, this whole area. If you go to New Orleans and you ask the concierge, oh, where do you recommend to eat? I am not a betting person, but I guarantee you they will, they'll name you an, a mom and pop that's been around for a hundred something years. That's what keeps New Orleans thriving. And Acadian and Lafayette needs to be very careful not to water down the Cajun culture because it's so unique. Pe- we, we've been fortunate enough to kind of travel travel the globe mm-hmm. and th- immediately when people hear that we have a Cajun restaurant they pepper us with questions 
they they always talk about oh my gosh on our you know one of our um, goals or um, bucket list is to go to Cajun country and eat. Really? I think people here take it such for granted mm-hmm. that you don't realize how lucky we are, and there's still a few of us still hanging in there fighting for it. And you know when we travel, we go where the locals eat. Um, and I think people need to really, really pay attention not to mm-hmm. oversaturate it, water it down, but appreciate it. it. It's hard, hard work. And yes, it's very scary. I can understand why he was probably devastated. Um, we said there were times we fell asleep at the table. Oh, there were times we, we and, and seven days a week, 18 hour days, trying to keep the lights on. And then, you know, you were shut down. Then you had to be creative of how mm-hmm. can you, tables. how can you do curbside? How can you do takeout? Mm-hmm. And then, oh, capacity levels. Well, let me tell you, when you flick on those lights, whether I have 25 people or 250, it costs the same to put the lights on. So we really, um, it, it was, uh, it's, it's been a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I thought, Restaurant life wasn't for sissies before. If you can survive this, geez. And, and, and I mean, we're a unique situation. We were married. We live together. We work together. So I'll... And I'll you seem both very of, happy. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, this you is... You don't get tired of this guy over here. Not a chance. <laughs> not a chance. And he cooks well, too. So He's cute, too. <laughs> and he's cute, cute and cooks well. So I love it. Um, but... It was, it was, you, you really have to focus on what's your priority. Don't let this break you. You can mm-hmm. get through it to get, you can get through it better together. And thank God we both had the same end game yeah. of yeah. we're going to get through this. It's not our first rodeo and it, hell, it probably won't be our last. I'm sure life's going to throw us something crazy, another curveball. but. But now you know you can survive. Oh my gosh. I thought, <laughs> and every time we would go through something, I, I think, you know what? We survived that. Now, I'm like, there's. I don't think there's anything we, I don't even want to say it. I don't want to jinx it, but. I was thinking, you know, when Hilo started the original, it his snowball stand and then um, Poor Boys Riverside Inn, it was still the depression. Yeah. So he had really trying times too. Yes. It yeah. was just, it had already been going on for a few years. You guys were blindsided. Oh yeah. And that's what I find amazing that when I looked at your website, just to look at all the different offerings. It's such a great website. If anybody hadn't gone to poorboysriversideinn.com. And it is beautiful. But and it's if you, difficult. It's like, yeah. But I mean, you've got pictures of each yeah, yeah. of the dishes. And it's well, just... If uh, you see anybody that starts up delicious. now, they have a one-page menu. And that's a new trend. When you're 90 years old, you can't... <laughs> you can't drop anything without someone saying, where's my favorite dish? So we're still old school where the, you had a large menu. And a lot of times, Richard had a point. He said, you know, a lot of times when people have a large menu, there's nothing really good. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to serve it if it's not good. So Richard makes it so hard on himself and the kitchen because every dish, he is tasting every one and every one he wants to be proud of. But when that kitchen has to learn that menu, Man, look, my hat is off to him and everybody in the kitchen. I, I'm just the water girl and the, <laughs> the water girl <laughs> that tastes all their great food. And let me tell you, when you go eat out and you see someone with a large menu and it's good, there's somebody slaving back mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. Th- and that's dedicated though. That is a true passion that you. 
he's cooking with love. The best ingredient there is, you know, and and we we have people that come in that have moved away that come back and say, oh, gosh, I was in town. We had a, a, some ladies in uh, Saturday night and she said, you know, um, we get um, tricked into eating at these Cajun restaurants. And I said, you know, if they're not I said, you know, I joke around that you've got to cook with love, but if you're not cooking with the Holy Trinity, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not praying with the Holy Trinity and cooking with the Holy Trinity, yeah, there's something wrong with the food. So, um, yeah, I think Rich has got it down. I think he does. And you, you um, make a mean gumbo, huh? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. When you were coming up, it wasn't Cajun food. This kind no. of became popular it in food. the 80s. It was, it was our food. So you I never mean, it thought just, about it as being different, um, right? Just right. the um, way your family and, cooked. Yeah. I mean, you know, my mom was... You know, my dad actually, my dad actually was the cook. He taught my mom. He he worked at some hotels in in Houston, and he worked he worked at he worked at Don's when he first came to town. He, worked, he had a crush on Po Boy's daughter. <laughs> then he, <laughs> That's how he, then he came worked over. at Po Boy's. Okay, and then but then you know he he learned all the cooking, mm-hmm. and um, you know mom was. Um, you know, mom was an only child, and you know they took. You know, my my grandparents took really good care of her, and so she wasn't you know, dirtying her hands yet. But mm-hmm. then you know, once dad taught her, and then you know, then mom cooked for us at home, and then then she came into the restaurant and started cooking his stuff, and and you know we had chefs, we had we had cooks that dad had taught, but the love that my mom came back and put into it because she's like, oh, I can do that. You know, I can, you know, I can be the, you know, I can make this sauce Mm -hmm. consistently and, you know, we don't, you know, and so mom did that for close to 30 years. She was still working with us until her untimely death last year. But it was weird for someone who got taught late in life. She must have been very observant because she she knew, and she she cooked with love and passion. And she had a great she palate, a though. Great she could palate. she could taste mm. something, and you know she'd go places, and she'd say, "Oh, well, I like the this this that's in this dish," and you know it's just a different you know like right. you come up with new flavors and stuff like that. And yeah. you know, we didn't we don't we didn't change stuff often, but when we did, you it know when we it, came up maybe. with something new, mm-hmm. it had to be like something that's gonna knock you out. Yeah. And and maybe I feel like you and your mom took a lot of the dishes and maybe improved it to the next level. You know, I find you have a great palate like your mom. I find Christian has that same little palate of like catching little things. But, you know, I remember when I met Richard, he was like, I love bread pudding, but I I don't like ours because it's my grandmother's. (laughs) And so he told me what was in it. And I was like, hmm. And I said, well, if you're not proud of it, do your twist of it. Now it's the number one dessert and it's fabulous. So I think him and your I think you and your mom did really well with, oh, this is good, this is even better. Mm-hmm. And you're keeping your mom's flair. I mean, every time you give me a sample, I can taste her her guidance in, in your dish. Richard, when I was coming up, my aunt, my great aunt Pearl was a wonderful cook. She worked at Penny's her whole life and, you know, retired with no money. But some of my favorite meals were her gumbos. And, you know, growing up, she was French, 
from the um, Vashri area, but I don't remember spicy and things. Like, you know, when you go to Cajun restaurants, like maybe in New York, just, you don't want to go to a Cajun thinks, restaurant. Yeah, but they think pepper it's pepper. It. Like, just, I don't remember her and, making and, spicy food. It was just rich. You it know. was the Holy Trinity. And yeah. that was the conversation I had with that, those cooking. ladies Saturday is outside of this area, a lot of times when you, if it's not someone from here, if you see Cajun or Creole, mm-hmm. they think it's adding Tabasco sauce. Tabasco sauce should be used very nicely to enhance a flavor. It should never overpower it. And if you're not tasting all the different spices mm-hmm. you've overdone it and exactly what you said you know you go into new york you see cajun and they think oh it's just a bunch of hot sauce we've had people try to cook for us in our travels going oh we made a cajun and spicy for you and i was like, Please like don't. oh yeah. i was like oh and then you don't want to insult them yes but it was awful mm-hmm. <laughs> yes but the the spice thing is a um like you said it's it's the pepper is complementing it, and if you, okay, if you have crawfish, well, you put, you know, a little more pepper. If you have crab meat, you put a lot less pepper because there's no, there's no... It's more of a delicate. It's it's so delicate. The crab meat's so delicate, so you're just going to add a little pepper to, to make that taste mm-hmm. great. And mm-hmm. the crawfish, you're going to have a little bit more because your crawfish is more flavorful, you know, and shrimp's kind of in between the two. So you're, you've got, you've just got a, I mean... Mm-hmm. And, and the other problem with the pepper is we have a lot of clientele that, you know, we have all different age groups that is, are coming and you want to make it, you want to make it good for everyone. Now, you know, some people are going to want, want more pepper in there. Um, well, they can add some people, gonna, some people are going to want less <laughs> and you're going to have to, you know, like we have to guide people and say, hey, uh, if you want something less spicy, you know, we... We do not season our shrimp before we cook it. You know, we have some grilled shrimp, you know, and I, and we can put less on there for you. Or fish, you know, we can put a little less for, for you if you're more sensitive about it. But, mm-hmm. but then we don't water down our other cooking. We don't water down all of our cooking for some people. We just, we cook the way, you know, the, the great... The fl- we cook for the flavor, and then we customize for the people that want something a little different. It's a shame to mask a good seafood with yeah, too much, you know. Yeah, with too much. What right. was Hulo's? Did he have a signature dish that you you picked up on? You know, what um, are some of the signature dishes? I I say he was more of a steak and the po' boys, right? Was he? He was. That's he was, was a large man. Well, if he ate he a dozen was, eggs for breakfast, yeah. Uh, tell him he's dessert. At night, yeah, and we we had uh, <laughs> we had my my grandfather's dessert, um, so we we would of course get the Borden's ice cream in the mm. five gallons, right? Yeah. So uh, so he had this bowl that was you know <laughs> right about three quarters of a gallon, and he would he would eat that every as night. dessert what every night. What did he put night. on it? Did he put like Goldbrook or something? What did he like? Just just ice I think cream? Just vanilla with chocolate. He he just loved oh, the, the vanilla. Yeah. And but, and but a gallon board, of vanilla like every a, night? Like almost a gallon of vanilla huge? every night. He was big. He was big He, I mean, he was big he wasn't from not pictures like, I see, but you would think yeah. a dozen eggs, a pound of bacon, and a gallon of ice cream every night. 
I thought the peaches plus, were gonna plus food and plus the food. <laughs> I was just tasting everything. Right, right. I was thinking, oh my gosh, I'm gonna see this. But I mean, really, he carried he was, it well. He, he carried it well. He was probably, um, I don't know. He wasn't a, a really tall man, so you know. But, but he, he was probably short. pushing two eighty something like that, well, which yeah. you know, below six feet, two eighty. You know, he was big, but he wasn't. Uh-huh. You know, he was. You know, he was very mobile, and he he was happy man. Yeah. He was he was a Cajun. He uh-huh. was Cajun, and he liked to have fun and and talk to people. And was he born here? He couldn't. Mm-hmm. He couldn't. Yeah. He couldn't read or write. All he could do was um, he could he could do numbers, mm-hmm. but he couldn't read or write. And, um, Your grandmother was, was, was literate, though she, yeah, she was she able was, to She was him. the one that would do all the um, that. She did the bookkeeping? And, yeah, the bookkeeping. Oh. And he would, uh, well, he would do the bookkeeping. He, he was okay with numbers. Numbers was, you know, he could understand numbers, but um, he just never learned to read and write. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just wasn't a big thing back then. He was, he spoke French, you know, they spoke French, was their primary, was his primary language. And my grandmother was German, and she spoke um, German and and uh, then she started speaking French and then, you know, English. And then Richard had a sister that had a handicap. And the only real, at that time, the only place to really get her the assistance she needed was a lot of trips and visits and stays in New Orleans. So his grandmother learned a lot of the New Orleans flair and she'd come back here and make her own twist of it. So her and weirdly, um, Dr. Uh, Judge Kale Saloom's wife, they would meet in their kitchens and perfect the crab meat imperial. I mean, we've got a dish that's almost 70 years old. Mm-hmm. Some people don't live to that. Some people don't, aren't in business for that. And our dish is literally almost 70 years old. And it was w- what she liked and picked out of all her favorites. And I remember a few years ago, this guy wanted to do an article on us about the crab meat imperial and I tell you what, I did not appreciate it as much until we did that interview. And as I ate it and heard his, I mean, his he, just, oh my gosh, he just was. He was a chef. He was a chef. And he just was like, oh my gosh, you catch this flavor, you catch that. And I, I, I kind of was like, well, so why did you want to interview us on this dish? He said, you realize no one else has this here? You can only get Imperial in New Orleans. You guys are the only ones that sell Imperial here. And I didn't realize that. And I've, I've kind of, I used to kind of relate Imperial with your grandmother, older. And then I started embracing it and I started turning people on to it. And my friends love it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what's that dish you, you made me get again? And it's really so unique. But after Stuart, watching him enjoy it, I really thought about, gosh, mm-hmm. you've got, you you've got a number. It's a, it's a top seller, but you've got a dish older, older almost older than you. Well, yeah, yes, yeah, it is yes, older, yeah. it is older than you. Jesus, way older, um, way older than way you older. on the menu. You look good for life. Yeah, you look very good. Yeah, so <laughs> you, kidding. You know, you've got that. Then you know the lump crab meat. Look, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a country girl, but I I don't want to go. I know this is going to sound. I don't mean to offend anybody, but when my girlfriend say, hey, you want to go eat ball crabs? No, I don't. I eat like a truck driver, okay? You know how many ball crabs I have to peel to be full? I'm just not. I'm out. That's a hard work. It's, yeah. it's a lot of work when you eat like I eat. So 
When you come to Riverside and you get that lump crab meat sauteed in butter, that dish has been number one for 40 years. Again, some people aren't even in business for 40 years, but that's a lot of crabs for me to mm -hmm. feel. So I'm like, mm, I'm out. I'm just going to eat my lump crab meat. And that dish, <clears throat> I'll never forget when we were dating and you said, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you the lump crab meat. And I thought, oh gosh, are we going to go back to the peeling crabs and how much I eat, you know? And I looked at that dish thinking, am I, is it going to fill me up? Is it got did it fill me up? Mm -hmm. Was it amazing? Oh my God. So I don't know anybody else that can rock a lump crab meat like you, by the way. And, but you appreciate it and you know how, you know how delicate crab meat is and you know how to, to just baby it. And it shows, baby. it does show, <laughs> but, um, Boy, crab meat is so oh. expensive. Huh? Well, thanks to COVID. And you know what Ooh. a lot of people don't understand um, COVID changed the uh, price. Uh, look, when you go eat out and you see the prices, don't hate on anybody. This is, it's our new reality. And we're just trying to stay in existence. But year for years, you're very wealthy people. And I'm not trying to, but you had a lot of wealthy people up north, New York area. And I'm not trying to dog any New Yorkers. I'm just saying they didn't realize they were eating imitation crab meat with all their dishes. Really? So when COVID hit and restrictions hit and they weren't getting their imitation. imitation and Chinese, a lot of that was imported. Yes. And China. so the, the uh, pressure on our supply, which is our supply because Chesse Chesapeake Bay, they fished all their crabs out. They don't have any crab meat anymore. Well, Louisiana so, can supply. So now, we're the only ones with crabs, us in Mississippi, Alabama. Mm. So now the pressure is on us, so they, yeah, whereas, they, whereas New Yorkers started getting used to having this crab meat, but it was all imported from China or India. And now with the, the change in all that import, now they're looking around for for this crab meat, and then all of a sudden— and they come down here and figure out we have it. So they're throwing money down. It's and I'll they're crab throwing meat big up, bucks. Their our crab meat went up five hundred percent. And when we're sitting there going, what the hell? Because Louisiana has enough natural crab to supply the United States. We don't need it. Louisiana does not need to import crab meat. Well, you got your suppliers who were knocked down to their knees. Mm -hmm getting somebody throwing some big money at them. So it's a supply and demand. Right. And then New York's going, well, this is way better than imitation. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so it, it's, it's been a game changer with um, how things run in the world. And it's, it's not our fault, but it, it is the reality check of what we're going to be dealing with for a while. And it's, it's been, a, um, yeah. mm, right. been crazy. Yeah. So you, you eat, what did you say? You eat like a truck driver? Oh, oh my gosh, I yes. heard you say that in an interview, and um, our good friend Jimmy Gidry, oh, yeah. and now Jason Redman at Hub City Diner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you appreciate oh, yeah. the delicacies of pancakes. and uh, Absolutely. <laughs> Look, Richard says he's ra he'd rather clothe me than feed me, and I don't know if... I don't Good know. thing I have a restaurant. That's I, I can I can feed her because I have a restaurant. Thank God. Right. Other than that, it would have been it'd be yeah. What's your favorite dish then? You know, um, Ooh, you have we, one on the menu. Well, you know that lump crab meat is it's hard to beat. Mm -hmm. um, I am an oyster lover, and I don't know if any of you guys have ever tried our oyster dinner, which again, no one else sells it. 
and his mom perfected an oyster stuffing that I, I use it for Thanksgiving. That oyster dinner and those oyster pies. But I mean, then you got the crab fingers. They're plump and they're, and then you got Father, you can have a marinated in Father Coco's dressing. And ah, I I don't know if I have a favorite. I mean, I made him. Oh, the extravaganza. Oh my gosh. The redfish extra, just any kind of version of the extravaganza. You got your fish fillets stuffed with crab meat. I usually get it stuffed with alligator stuffing because it's a little healthier. Because I try to, I try to like justify eating like a truck driver of oh, I am having it with cra- alligator instead of crab meat. But then it's topped with crab meat and crawfish and mushrooms. Oh my goodness! Um, and I mean, like the house salad. I'll say, oh, I'm eating healthy. Well, it's almost two pounds of seafood. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so healthy. It's so good. But, yeah. but you know, then then last week I'm like, hey, I'm gonna eat healthy, and so then I convince him to make a dish, just like we made up a dish, and I ate it four nights in a row, and then by Friday night I've convinced a customer to get her own version of it. So I, true, I love fillets. Um, I love the fillet with their little crab meat on top. But then, then we'll. We'll get distracted and get the Rockefeller sauce on top that his mama perfected. So you put the Rockefeller sauce on top of a filet, oh, maybe melt some blue cheese crumbles on top. Man, I could just eat the whole menu. I, I, I'm getting distracted thinking about it right now. Wow. So I'm I just surprised you guys aren't like Hulo and kind of waddling <laughs> around. You're both in great oh, shape. No, my and- water girl shirt's kind of tight right now. <laughs> just saying. Well, look, um, I want to send people to your website so they can look at the menu, if they haven't been, it's poorboysriversideinn.com. Yes. You're located in Broussard, easy to get to. Mm-hmm. What is it, 2? Two? 242 Bing Road. Bing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I guess to circle back, I have to mention Eat, Laugh, Yet, and how much I well, absolutely love that. We're going to get into that. Okay. I, mean, I need to take a quick break, but that was what okay. I wanted to transition to, and we can... Plug Circle uh, Boys Riverside in again. Yeah. All right. So every show we pause and reflect on an interview we did in the past. And I thought this might be a relevant one. It was with Moggy and her late husband, Pat Pastor. Beautiful people. And people knew them. I mean, they were iconic. Um, in the in the area, they had Shea Pastor, and then later T. Frere's Bed and Breakfast. And like you, Lori and Richard, they loved being in the restaurant business. And it was really in their blood. And they, they inspired yeah. me when I met both of them. I got to, we got to be friends after the interview. And I just, you know, so sorry that Pat passed away and Moggy's still kicking. And she's, she's just a look, spitfire. Once you know? the pastors take you in, your family. She's just yeah. wonderful. But they, Moggy was a member of the um, iconic Landry family that opened on Seafood and Steakhouse in downtown Lafayette right after your family. Richard, it was in 1934. So I thought this might be interesting. We're just going to listen to a quick clip and bring back their voices. This moment is brought to us by Facet, a career coaching, and talent management firm. FACET has helped the employees of hundreds of companies improve performance, find or move into their right position, or change careers. FACET can help your organization improve both the analytical and interpersonal sides of your business. Worry less, FACET more. For more information, visit facetgroup.com. Pat came up with the idea. He said, you know that that old house? Well, when we lived, when Pat was at the Petroleum Club, I should say that, and Penhook Road, remember mm-hmm. we talked about Penhook Road, well, they were building the Normandy restaurant. 
which became Shea Pesto many years later. Okay. But when we turned on that corner, I remember the roof going up. Pat said, I'd like to get my hands on that place one day. Mm-hmm. And I remembered that. And I told him, I said, Pat, you know, Lionel Jamar, that's another friend of ours, owns that property in Normandy. I said, wonder whatever happened to it. So he called Lionel, and Lionel said, no, it was leased to Gilly Cabemori. It was in Normandy. It was a French restaurant. But he said, I tell you what, down the road, the old Horace Ricky house, I hear the Michos are tearing the tree down in front. They're going to put a burger chef there. Oh, no. They had had a burger chef mm-hmm. on, on uh, Johnson, 15-cent hamburgers. Right. I said, what? You mean where I used to get my hair done, the old horse wreck out? I said, Pat, that would make a perfect crush. I got so excited. Well, he got even more excited. He called Louis Michaud. Louis Michaud got in his airplane the next day, flew to Shreveport, made the deal with us, and we were on our way. That's he great. had 51, we had 49. We had yeah. to go open my first train. Welcome back. To discover Lafayette. If you'd like to hear um, Moggy and Pat Pastor's full interview, you can go to discoverlafayette.net. And I want to remind you too, if you haven't subscribed, you can get Discover Lafayette wherever you get your podcast. And now we're back with Laurie and Richard Hurst, proprietors of Poor Boys Riverside Inn in Broussard. And we were about to talk with uh, Laurie in particular about Eat Lafayette, which is a, an ongoing program. It's been going on for over 10 years now. I don't know exactly when oh, it gosh. started. Has it been about 15 years? We were one of, uh, we were one of the first ones to yeah, join no, when uh, they It was made in it. the 2000s. It was in, you know, uh, before 2010. And it's okay. a way to celebrate what you were talking about, our local flavor. Yes. And you're serving as chairwoman, so not only are you promoting your own restaurant, but you're promoting all of your peers that have restaurants in our area. Yes, I am very, very passionate about eating local, shopping local, um, but I like, I'll revisit what I said earlier. I don't think a lot of people, you know, Lafayette's getting bigger with a lot of people moving here, so they, they're introduced to the Cajun culture. I want everybody that was born here to not forget how blessed they are to have been born in an area with, I mean, you know, when we, we were voted the happiest city one year, well, of course we're happy. We're eating Cajun food. <laughs> I guarantee you, I, ha- I like I said, we have been very lucky to have kind of globetrotted a little bit around the world. We've eaten, we've eaten things that I'm sure probably, yeah, I'm still not sure of all the things we've eaten. Um, <laughs> and my doctor wasn't happy either. But after seeing cultures and many of them are beautiful you know the india's india has beautiful food and culture greece has great cultural you know great tasting food but we are so lucky to have this flair and everybody everybody and their grandmother knows how to cook with love and it but it i think we kind of take it for granted because you know what my friend um in Colorado, her grandmother doesn't know how to cook with love. She may love what she cooked, but it's boring. We have fun, and it tastes great, and it's amazing, and it it pops you. It almost makes you awake, like, oh, my gosh. this It catches every sense, and we don't need to water it down. We don't need to take it for granted. I think everybody should embrace. And, and it, you know, just like uh, when you talked about Sunday dinners or Sunday lunches, Everybody should share a, some kind of meal with their family. 
either at taking turns at all, you know, like, like pick a different favorite local place, but everybody needs to eat at local restaurants and enjoy and appreciate and, and come together and have memories, you know, let have that dining experience be a tradition to make memories. And, you know, I love it when someone walks in and says, I used to come here with my grandmother, but then they're here with their child. So that's four generations Mm -hmm. of memories. And they were like, every time I come here, I think of all the wonderful memories I had with my dad. Or, you know, I have, we have people that stop in every time I come to town, I come eat here because this is where my parents and I grew up eating. And it's touching that I hope that when they have that plate of food, they think of every good memory they had. And I think it's in, I think people should kind of get out that box and get out that routine and go eat out because you don't realize how much restaurant people give back to the community. Mm-hmm. All those little fundraisers, that's your restaurant people. And, and how many people do we employ and how many people pay taxes that work at a restaurant? And then that goes into your community and we're buying it local food. Here. It stays yeah. here. Mm-hmm. So support your local people. Eat Lafayette is a wonderful, wonderful program. And I hope it educates everybody how important it is to eat local. Mm-hmm. You can go to LafayetteTravel.com to see Eat Lafayette and the participants. And yeah. I know that they, the website that Ben Berthelot's group has put together is oh, wonderful. They, they are just, they're and rock stars. And there's recipes. I, I, I didn't realize yeah. there were recipes on there. But when you look at the tab for Eat Lafayette when it, under About, I was just amazed at some of the new restaurants I didn't didn't even know realize. About. Right. So it really is a resource because you you won't always see this in the paper or right. And they it, can't always advertise. Right. Not yeah. everybody has a budget to advertise. So mm-hmm. Eat Lafayette can bring that little mom and pop to the to the forefront of of getting them out there. But I think Ben and his group, they're rock stars. Kaylee, mm-hmm. all of them. They get it, and they get that literally when people. People take tours here just to eat. They come here just to have the food. So if we're we're if we're bussing them in to eat, guys, y'all are missing out if y'all not going eat out, mm-hmm. you know, with your family or date night or just because or you know, give give the kitchen a break every now and then. Let us do the cooking. Let us do the cleaning. But the list is endless. Mm-hmm. And and one thing I find with the locals. We all support each other. You know, exactly. I have a guy calling me, hey, I'm in a bind. Do you have this? Can I get? Yes, gotcha. Um, we've done the same. Look, we were in a bind not long ago, and I called Patrick of Pooh Parts. God bless him. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, he saved us. But didn't even hesitate. That's the kind of camaraderie we have. Mm-hmm. And I love it. I love it. Those guys are a solid. They, we all back each other up. It's touching. I grew up in Baton Rouge, and we had, you're talking about bringing up memories. You know, I remember a lot of the restaurants, my dad would bring home food as a child. I, I love anchovies, and my friends were like, how can you eat that? But he brought the, the salad, the Italian salad from Mike and Tony's home. And so and I, was, I was, yeah, and I was exposed to it at a young age, and I still like them, but my family, you know, not so much. But a lot of the restaurants, and we didn't have a number of restaurants, I guess is my point. When I moved here, just 50 miles down the road. You were blown away. Totally different. Yeah. Not only the French yeah. culture, but the level of, of um, variety, but these mom and pop restaurants. And 
it seems like in Baton Rouge there was more Italian focused Gino's and right, right, you know right. Mike and Tony's. Yeah, and we, um, we we've done at Gino's a lot. It's yeah, great. Yeah. Some seafood, but it seemed like there was that more of that um, right. ethnic and not as much more of an Italian flair. Yeah, yeah, we did have Ralph and Cacuz. I don't know if that counts as one, but but it was from way back. You know, I'm right, talking right. about way way back. But when I moved here, it was astounding how different the culture was, but the variety of restaurants and that are good, excellent. And presented with love. It was just different. Right. And, you know, you know um, we've traveled with some friends. And, and um, when it came time to go eat out, they were eating at a place that you could, they wanted to go eat at a place. And I was like, and Rich was like, no. Yeah, like I'm a chart the, house or something, right. like a chain. And so yeah. we did, we, we'd go where all the locals Ate, and man, did we find some great places. And I said, if I can eat it at any place mm-hmm. in the state, eh, you, you got to go where the locals eat. And, ah, geez, Lafayette has so much to offer. I mean, you could literally hop around. Look at the list, list the Eat Lafayette list. You could hop around and, and uh, geez, not that eat is, at the same place that twice. That is what I find different about us. And, you know, Baton Rouge... You know, Baton Rouge is still in Louisiana, and it is a little bit on I ten. But but when you start going (laughs) when you start going north a little bit, and you start seeing the different, there's so many. And and you know, I tell people all the time, you know, that you know, people that walk in, I say you're probably a better cook than me just at your house. The people here in Lafayette. The Acadian area. They know like, how to cook. Everybody knows how to cook, and everybody appreciates and loves great food, like flavors and stuff. Whereas, you know, you go different, you know, like you go to Houston, and, and you know, they're eating. They got to eat, right? You got to eat. So, well, no, we're we're eating to, you know, we're eating. Celebrating. We this is what eat. we want to mm, do. We, do. we uh-huh. want to eat. We, yeah. we don't have to eat. We want to eat. Uh-huh. <laughs> and because the food is so good, and it's like, okay. And, you know, like I have trouble with my wife every time we eat something, we eat something and she's like, oh man, you know what I want to eat tomorrow? You know, <laughs> she, she, she hadn't even like finished, we just finished eating, this, still, is, yeah. this is really good, but hey, you know what we could do tomorrow? Because like we just kind of think about things that we could do I'm different. I'm always thinking of my next meal. It's just like, it's, it's, I'm like, you know, <laughs> you know, so she's just, you know, but people here are like that. We... We live to eat. We don't just eat because we have to. We just. Well, in, you reminded me of Father Coco. Father Frank Coco was a Jesuit priest from New Orleans that met Richard's mom in a bar while she was watching him play with Ronnie Cole and Pete Fountain and hearing confession <laughs> in between sets in a um, in a booth. And they became the best of friends for forty something years. And our worlds revolved around Father Coco, and he was an amazing cook. But his appreciation for food. Now we have his Italian dressing on our menu, and when I met his brother, who was a brother, I thought, "What the what?" And he said, "Well, I guess the best way to describe the difference of us is I, I, I live to eat. He just eats to live, and that." And I thought, "Gosh, yes." And I think I. Our Cajun culture is very much that way. We all live to eat. And look, you know, all the, I love the person, you, you, and you, you were right. A lot of people here cook well at home. I, I find Richard is an amazing gourmet cook. I'm a country girl cooker. Um, so we cook 
good things differently. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I'm going to a restaurant, I'm not going there to see how I am better than you. I'm just going there to embrace what you bring to the table. So go enjoy, let your hair down, have a glass of wine, relax, and just embrace everybody's great greatness. I mean, hell, if you've been doing it for 90 years, you probably are doing something right. I think so. So, (laughs) or if you've been doing it nine days, something made you feel like you can do it Mm -hmm. and everybody should just embrace it and enjoy it and Get out there and make memories. Yeah. Well, I'm glad your son's working with you both. Um, and he's got a great palate. Gosh, yeah. he's good at that. So you see him yeah, yeah, yeah. carrying I'm, this baton forward. I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so. But even when he was small, he'd say, this is, you know, he would, it was, it was amazing. Like, but I think he has Kathleen's palate. I really do. I think he's got a great sense of, mm-hmm. you know, but Richard, Richard's amazing with pulling out. I'll eat something and go, God, what is that taste? And he's like, oh, that's the time or that's the, and I'm like, and it's not our dish. It'd be, it it could be Mm -hmm. wherever we're at and he can pull it in a second. And I'm just going to tell you how fabulous it is that, you know, as I'm cleaning my plate, I just find he can just break it down. Mm -hmm. But with that process, We've, um, we're doing Thursday night specials off of things we love from different countries that, you know, the little taste that we pulled out here, a little taste we pulled out there. And we put that in the Thursday night specials, like the one last week. Oh, my gosh. I sent him to go get some more of the sauce today, matter of fact. What was it? What was the last? It was a champagne and shrimp pasta. Mm. And the champagne was infused with some Alfredo sauce and spinach and tomato. It was so good. It's just so good. People are going to have to go to Provoice oh to recite yes. yes. You see, like I'm already, re- you, you realize I'm already thinking it's about supper, supper right? time. Yeah. Good thing I brought a lot home. It's, it's a, a good thing. He I did. Know. He did. He brought, brought a lot home. So that's, that's, it's like bringing flowers to me when mm-hmm. you bring home good food. So I appreciate it. I do. Was there anything you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover? Was there something you thought I would ask? I think um, I think we've touched a lot, and I think Richard is, um, you know, my hats off to you and everything you've brought to the table in this community to bring. I mean, you're holding a baton of ninety years, and after going through COVID and still nailing every recipe and all the consistency, and I see what you do behind the scenes of making everybody up their game. Um, any chef out there that's doing the same, you know, God bless all of y'all and thank you for keeping it alive because I really do need a place to eat for the next 90 years. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you both. Richard, is there anything you'd like to add? I think we've covered a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, him and Ben with uh, Birth a Lot used to play rounds of basketball together and uh, the discipline I see on the court on the court with y'all, you guys playing, mm-hmm. Ben has brought that to his office, and I appreciate him so much embracing the local restaurants. And he has no idea how much I think he, I don't know if anybody else does that. I really don't. I mean, I'm trying to think about it. I mean, other, I think uh, New Orleans may be trying to take a twist off of us. But to take it to that level they and did, embrace they did, it, they took a they taken a little uh, toward the, um, 
the downtown area mm-hmm. to try to keep those people yeah. going. Uh, you know, at, at before COVID, they didn't have much trouble. I mean, they have so many. They had so many tourists coming through mm-hmm. that you know, as long as the concierges just keep you know recommending them and and putting their name out. Which you know, I mean, they have reputations, you know, similar to ours. I mean, right. there's some places over there older than ours, so um, you know, those places have have had it difficult. Yeah. But you know, and what I think, uh, I don't think people realize how hard it is to cook everything from scratch. We make ninety eight percent of our. Yeah, we make our own tartar sauce. Most people grab mm-hmm. a five-gallon bucket right. tartar sauce. Right, we're making our own everything. Make, um, yeah. And to make it from scratch uh, every day. cocktail. Keep it fresh and thousand good. blue right. cheese, so, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, then all of our sauces for our our, our meals, mm-hmm. our Rockefeller, Bienville. You know, we, we have so Imperial, much that we do. Imperial, etouffees, the au gratins, everything. So when you're ordering at a mom-and-pop restaurant and it's taking, you know, a few minutes, just... How about put your phone down and enjoy the company you're with? How about ha- communicate? Have fun. Have a glass of wine. Have a anything. But it's being made per order from scratch. It's not a bag dropped mm-hmm. in, you know, in some water and all pre-done. It we're not doing that, and we're not using imitation. So we're in there shucking it. We're in there, you know, peeling it. So it's it's a cooked with love kind of thing, which is. Not many people do that. I find New Orleans does it a lot. I find there's still a few handful of us in Lafayette that'll do it. But, I mean, look at Paris. You know, Paris isn't pulling a bag of frozen Chinese shrimp out. They're, they're cooking with love. Embrace our French culture here. And look, we've got... We've got a, the best of both worlds. We've got Creole. We've got Cajun. Ben's group is great. And um, go eat local. You guys are great, too. This is why I do the podcast, to allow people to hear local voices that not only make a difference, but that you define who we are. You know, thank you so much. Well, thank you for having well, us. Lori and Richard us. Hurst. I mean, y'all are beautiful. Thank you so oh, much for you. being here today. And so cute together. Well, you know, he makes me look good, though. Well, I think it's a mutual thing. Laurie and Richard Hurst, proprietors, owners of Poor Boys Riverside Inn in Broussard. Um, another great show. Thank you. We couldn't do this, um, first of all, without our loyal audience. Thank you for listening. And please share the word about Discover Lafayette. And I want, in particular, for this podcast, thank Ben Berthelot and Lafayette Travel. We're going to be highlighting, probably once a month, some of our local Iconic restaurants, oh, and Ben wanted you guys to Good. be first. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, well, they're all rock stars. I have they to are. say. And I'd also like to thank our ongoing sponsors who really keep the show going. Thank you, Home Bank. Thank you, Facet Group. Thank you, Lafayette Surgical Specialty Hospital, and of course, Raider, and in particular, Jason Sakura, who mixes our tape and makes it sound so much better than I could. On behalf of Discover Lafayette. This is Jan Swift. <laughs>